Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So your your Instagram handle is at... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everyone's Say asked it, you this. Say it, Sanjay Gupta. Say it. King Gutter Baby. King Gutter Baby. Yes, it is. In March of last year... Laurel Bristow's Instagram account, with the unusual handle, at King Gutter Baby, was private. Just family and friends. She had fewer than 1,000 followers. Then coronavirus struck, and Bristow's career in infectious diseases made her more informed than most. So she started sharing some knowledge and some tips on her private Instagram. Her followers found it so useful, they asked if she would make her account public so they could send her post to others. Hello, my little chocolate fondue pots. And today, Bristow has nearly 350,000 followers. Today, we are talking about escapism. No, I don't mean looking at TikTok for six hours instead of being left alone with your thoughts. I'm talking about viral variations escaping our immune response. She answers their questions about therapeutics, risk assessment, masks, and everything in between. All of it while holding down her day job as a clinical research coordinator at Emory's Vaccine and Treatment Evaluation Unit. Today, she's going to join me to talk about her rise to Instagram fame, the pressures that come with that, and the reason she didn't change her username. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your work pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. Yeah, so I I have a master's of science in the control of infectious disease, and I've been uh, started working in HIV in San Francisco. Um, And then I moved out here to Atlanta to work for the Hope Clinic at Emory, which is a vaccine and treatment evaluation unit. Uh, And so... When I was out here, I was hired because they wanted to start inpatient studies, kind of epidemiological surveillance studies of various respiratory pathogens. And then COVID started becoming more and more real. And we started realizing like, oh, this is actually going to impact us and our work. And so when it hit, we shut down our studies and then immediately started up with NIH studies for remdesivir. Have you had moments of dread because, in the sense that it's just so much coming in and there's so many things that are changing, just so much you have to learn quickly, just your own your own mental health through this? Um, how's that been? Yeah, it's certainly it's a challenge. I think, um, you know, everything is happening all the time. And so I'm trying to do my work, my paid work that I keep up with here um, and manage the team here and manage the study at this site and coordinate with our other sites. And then I'm also doing all this Instagram education too, which, you know, is a ton of reading of papers, synthesizing information, writing outlines, making sure that it's understandable, like debunking claims. Um, And so I've actually, it is very taxing. It's very exhausting to constantly think about COVID 24 hours a day, but I also in some sense, have been very grateful for it because I never had to stop going to work. I never had to switch to work from home. I 
like I have a job to do and I think it keeps me very focused on that. And that's very beneficial to me because I know myself well enough to know that if I was one of these people who was suddenly working from home, who, you know, didn't have their social life kind of shut down uh, due to physical distancing, that I would probably have a really hard time with it. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I think sometimes like uh, for, for people like us, just being able to to take the the information slash knowledge that is out there, triage it, if you will, into what's important, what's not, and then translate it, it ends up being a really, really important important tool. As you point out, you know, you you have a job, you're doing this important work at a university. And at some point you said, you know what, it's going to be important for me to share my knowledge and insights publicly. And you chose Instagram. I'm sure that sort of evolved over time, but how did that come about for you? Yeah. So I think in the four days between my studies stopping and our COVID studies starting, I was bored. I didn't <laughs> like, we didn't have, I wouldn't have anything to do. We weren't sure what was going to happen. So I put a video on Instagram. I had a private account. I had 600 followers. I said, does anybody want to know what it means to flatten the curve? And I had like 10 friends say they wanted me to do it. So I said, okay. And I made my first video. It's just me talking at the camera in my stories about what COVID is, what we know, why we need to keep hospital numbers down. You know, I've gone from 600 followers to about 350,000 followers (laughs) uh, in a little under a year. And it just doesn't stop because the information doesn't stop. I love the fact that four days and you got bored. Most people would have just like totally binged Netflix for those four days and taken some time off. Not you. No, I had no idea what I was going to do. So, Do you have any idea what the makeup of your Instagram audience is? Yeah, it is 92% female. Um, and it, there it's, I think the majority of ages is between 25 and 45. So I have a lot of, I, the joke is that I have the cool hot moms following me. <laughs> right. Has it changed now that you have so many, you know, exponentially more followers? Has it changed um, how how you present the content? Are you more nervous? I mean, you got a lot of eyeballs now on it. Yeah, I think it hasn't really changed how I present the content. I think, you know, I've worked really hard, like you said, to let people know that I am learning along with them and that I reserve the right to update and have normalized saying I was wrong about this or let's revisit this. Anyone in public health tries not to speak in definites uh, as much as possible because things will change. The thing that's been a bigger struggle for me is like stuff outside of COVID because this is my personal Instagram account. It's always been my personal account. So, you know, when there are important movements for social justice and stuff like that, I have a strong, I have an internal struggle about what I post because A, I want people to know where I stand and that I have very strong convictions. B, I feel obligated to post about important things because I have this platform. But also for a long time, I was concerned because, you know, I am trying to get people to take a pandemic seriously. I knew I had a lot of more conservative followers who I didn't want to, um, you know, alienate. But, you know, I finally just figured like, it's just, I'm going to post what I'm going to post. And that's, I told people, this is your little tax for getting all this free COVID information is if you don't like what I'm saying, you just have to tolerate this one slide that I'm saying about it. And I feel that that is fair considering the amount of work that I do for free for people. It's been impossible to disentangle the scientific stuff from, from, from politics. You know, people say, I'm just going to stick to the science. But the reality is that 
I mean, if you just do that, then then there's going to be a certain number of people who maybe just uh, anti-vaxxers. How much do you lean into to, to, to making sure you can dispel in a in a in a um, non-threatening way? I, I, I guess I would describe some of these issues. Um, yeah, no, I definitely lean in hard to these issues, and I would not say I'm always non-threatening about it. I get very heated about mask stuff, especially a year into this pandemic. But there have been a lot of people who have attacked me as a person on their platforms, um, and so I don't think that it's I don't think that I have any obligation to be kind or be diplomatic when my life and the life of my colleagues like are at risk because people are promoting really unsafe behavior. So that's kind of where I stand on that. I have I have taken a very strong stance on a lot of things and I don't I don't feel bad about it at all, honestly. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just I don't know. I went through this whole process where I'd say, okay, why would he or she say something like that? Like I I, I really was trying to like what is the motivation here? Like trying to you know, maybe think the best of somebody. Maybe they've had a really hard time with something and therefore they're 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 speaking out like this. I am curious, you know, when you when you are trying to reach young people, is there is there a different way versus when you're talking to your colleagues at Emory? I mean, do you do you, do you switch your language? Do you, I mean, what are the tips to reach young people? Um, I think, you know, you just really want to think about it from their perspective that a lot of people, it's been very surprising to me, the, um, the lack of kind of science literacy that some people have. I think it's, you know, upsetting to think about our school systems failing people like this, but just to remember that these are people who are asking questions because they want to understand. So things might be like, I think first when I was starting some of the questions I would get, I was like, gosh, really? Like people really don't know this, but now you just have to remember, like they're asking because they want to understand. So just explain to them from that standpoint. I use a ton of analogies. That's kind of like what I'm known for is using really kind of silly analogies to explain complex scientific process, but it works. People say like, oh, I get it now. So let me ask you a question then, because this is the question I get all the time. I'm sure you get it all the time as well is like, when is this thing... (laughs) When is this thing going to come under control or or have some sense of, of, of normalcy again, do you think? This year, this summer, this fall, 2022, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm hoping that we can get something a lot more pleasant to live in by, you know, mid-summer. I think we do need to up our vaccine administration. I think it's good that there are plans to do that. Um, I think people need to keep in mind, you know, I saw this on Twitter and I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it, but if you were watching the weather forecast for the week and the weatherman said uh, 178 people are going to get sunburned tomorrow, you would say, wait, well, let's have more people put sunscreen on. Let's do this. Let's do that. And so I think people need to remember that you can change your behaviors. It's never too late for us to really dig into the mitigation strategies that we know about, that we've known about, while we're waiting for enough people to get vaccinated to get us to a safe level. So I am optimistic that we can get there and that we can just get through this winter and have, you know, a better life by mid-summer to the fall. That's what I'm really hoping for, and I'm not ready to give up on that hope yet. Yeah, I I, I, I share that as well. And, and I have to ask, so your your Instagram handle is at, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everyone's say asked it, you this. Say it, Sanjay Gupta, say it. King Gutter Baby, King Gutter Baby. Yes, it where, is. Where did that come from? I know everybody wants to know, and I feel so bad because it's not like some incredible story. It is 
a riff off of a Bob's Burgers joke. There is a raccoon on this cartoon show called Little Prince Trash Mouth. And I love it. And I wanted that to be my name and it wasn't available. And this was as close as I got. And I keep it, I think, just because A, it's hilarious when prominent people such as yourself have to say it out loud. (laughs) And B, uh, it just, people are attached to it. And I think it's a really good reminder that I did not plan for this. So I'm like, all right, we're just going to prove that you can be smart and qualified and professional with the dumbest possible social media handles. I, I love that. I, I You know, there is such a sense of decorum and professionalism. Yeah. And look, we work at the same institution, so you and I both feel some of that. But I think thanks to you, uh, you know, some of that will change. And it's really fascinating to watch. And I applaud you for doing it. I'll say it again. At King Gutter Baby. Because she really wants me to say it again, I can tell you. Never thought I would see the day that Dr. Sanjay Gupta would say my Instagram name on a CNN podcast. Here we are. Here we are. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Talk to you. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.